Good morning, everybody. Uh, my name's Chris, if you haven't met me before. I'm a member of the congregation here, and I'm delighted to continue our series in Hebrews. We've been going through this for an unimaginably long amount of time. Uh, normally, our series here lasts a few weeks, maybe a month. This has lasted almost forever. Uh, <laughs> And we're in chapter 9 now, so we're not even close to being done. There's loads more. Um, But I have the the joy to bring to you Hebrews chapter 9. This series has been all about Jesus being far superior to anything that has come before. Uh, Everything before has been just a shadow of what's to come when Jesus arrives. Uh, And so this, this... talk really fits in to that series, just like the others. So this time we've got the the idea that what came before was like a model, an illustration, a shadow. And Jesus brings the real thing. Jesus is the reality. Everything else that came before is just leading up to what Jesus does. So last, well, not last week, two weeks ago, Uh, David brought us uh, a look at chapter 8 and introduced the idea of Jesus bringing a new covenant, a new promise, a new relationship. Uh, And this, uh, in chapter 9, we continue that idea and look specifically about the sacrifice that came before and the sacrifice that Jesus brings. So, I'm going to read the passage now. If you've got a Bible, do open it. Uh, This is a fairly complicated passage, so it'd be great if you could follow it through on your phones or on a real Bible. There's some in the bookcase at the back if you didn't bring one with you. So, we're in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 1 to 15. Now, the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up. In its first room were the lampstand, the table, and the consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered ark of the covenant. This ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the ark were the cherubim of the glory, overshadowing the atonement cover. But we cannot discuss these things in detail now. When everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, and never without blood which he offered for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still standing. This is an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshipper. They are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations, applying until the time of the new order. 
When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made, that is to say, not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, I don't know if you heard that and thought, oh my goodness, that's very complicated. Um, I prepared this sermon and have been going through the last few weeks kind of post-COVID. I'm four weeks after having COVID. And when I first read this through, it seemed unimaginably complicated and I couldn't really get what I was going to be talking about. So if you're hoping for a deep theological explanation of all of that, I'm going to go simple, I'm afraid, uh, and try and bring out of it just a simple message that we can get hold of and make sense of. I hope that's okay with everybody. (laughs) So, um, we've got a, a real sense here of moving from the old to the new. Not doing away with the old at all, but moving to something new. It's important to remind ourselves who this letter was being written to. It was being written to Uh, Jewish Christians, people who were Jews who had converted to Christianity, uh, and some of whom were in danger of of going back to the old ways, uh, slipping back into the familiar, the traditional, um, the things they knew so well, and, and backing off from the challenge of entering into this new life with Jesus. So that's who the recipients are, and that kind of makes sense of Uh, why some detail is put into the old first before moving on to talk about the new with Jesus. But the question comes up, well, why look at the old at all? Is it important for us? It certainly seems quite alien to us. I hope the pictures that we put up uh, as the, the passage was being read were useful. It gives us some kind of a visual for us who are not at all familiar with the tabernacle and the temple and all that that entailed. Um, For the recipients of the letter, it would have been super familiar. And it was okay to have this little throwaway line in verse 5, but we cannot discuss these things in detail now. If you go back into the Old Testament, actually a significant chunk of the Old Testament is just describing all of that stuff that's in the tabernacle. If we were going to read it through now, it would have taken us all day today and maybe quite a bit of next week as well just to read it all, 
let alone understand it. So it's quite a relief to see in verse 5 that let's just leave some of that detail and not go into it quite so much. Um, but the reason that we, we, we need to hear it is that it's useful. All of that in the Old Testament, the tabernacle, the temple, the atonement cover, the cherubim, all of that is there to teach us something. So what I'm going to do in the next few minutes is look at three things that the old system can teach us and then three things that the new system can give us. So, first of all, what can the old system of sacrifice and the tabernacle teach us? Well, first of all, God is holy. God is entirely different to us. He's so far removed from what we are, it's hard to even imagine. And that's useful for us to hear again because in our situation, we can also get lulled into the, the sense that God is approachable. He's here. He's easily accessible to us. He's just like us. Well, he is accessible to us now, and we'll come on to that in a minute, but he's not just like us. He is holy. He is perfect. He's majestic. He's unbelievably glorious. And we lose some of that because we, weren't, we, we don't have that whole background that the Jews did of just how unbelievably perfect God is. Uh, and so that explains some of the detail that's in the tabernacle, how richly it was all adorned, how much gold was put into making all of it, um, the, the detailed descriptions that God gave the people about how it should all be arranged. It gives us this idea of the majesty of God and how different he is from us. And also in the way that the tabernacle was organized, there was the outside, the, the, the place where the general people were, and then there's the holy place where only the priests could go and they did their sacrifices and all the things that they did there. And then within that was the most holy place and only one person could ever go in there, the high priest, and only once a year and only when he had done an, an incredible amount of preparation had to be dressed in the right things. He had to have done the right sacrifices. He had to have cleaned himself from his own sins as well as the people from theirs. Uh, and they, it's, it's said that they used to tie a rope to his ankle when he went in just in case none of that had worked and he dropped dead. They could pull him out because no one else was going to volunteer to go in and get him. So this is how separate God is from us, how special, how holy. And so it's really important to read this just to give us that impression of how holy God is. The second thing that we can learn is sin is serious. It's not a light matter at all. If all of this preparation had to be done in order for the high priest to get to the holy place, the reason he went in there was to offer an, a, a sacrifice, an offering to God 
to cleanse himself and the people from their sins. If he didn't do that, they would all die. If he didn't do it right, he would die. Because we are all sinful. They were all sinful. It's like uh, in the normal everyday life, although the law is there and they try their utmost to follow it, they don't quite get there. There's, they can't quite get up to the measure. And so it's like being out and about and you get a bit of coffee on you or some dirt on your feet or, or something like that. During the day, you just accumulate dirt. And so it's a relief to have a shower at the end of the day just to wash yourself clean. And it's like that with the Israelites as well. They, they just accumulate things that haven't quite gone to plan and they need to be washed from that. And if they aren't, then they can no longer be God's people. And the relationship that, that all of this is designed to, to, to for, forever enable can't continue. So God is holy, sin is real and serious, and the last one is something new was necessary. So all of this that was being done had to be kept on doing they had to do it again and again and again. All the sacrifices had to be made almost continually in order to keep this relationship between God and his people intact. So that the old covenant was imperfect. The law that was given to people, all the regulations they had to follow, it was just impossible to follow it. And so there had to be a whole series of sacrifices to try and keep them in step with God. It just wasn't working. It isn't enough. It was only ever something temporary before Jesus came. So three things. God is holy, sin is serious, and something else was necessary. That's what we're learning from the old. So let's now look to the new. So I'm going to read verses 11 and 12 again. When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made, that is to say, not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood having attained eternal redemption. So what Jesus did has so many similarities to what came before. There was blood involved. There was a new holy place. There was a new most holy place. Jesus went through the same pattern that the Old Testament told us about all that sacrifice, but in an entirely new and different way. He didn't need the blood of goats and rams and heifers and all of that. He didn't go into the most holy place, that little tent in the tabernacle. But he went into a new version of those, a perfect version. His sacrifice was like what came before and in so many ways completely unlike what came before. It was new and perfect. And it was once for all. Now, if you have, if, like me, you have trouble getting your head around that whole system of sacrifice, and how does that work, and how can it possibly be helpful to kill an animal 
in order to take away our sins, it's hard to, to work that out until you get to this point and see that Jesus, his sacrifice was once for all. The people who were alive then, us now, and all of before as well. So when people were offering those sacrifices in faith, that what God was saying, that if you do this, it will be okay for another year, that was being done on the strength of Jesus' sacrifice that is still yet to come. So they were being saved by Jesus, even though Jesus hadn't come yet. Because God said, make these sacrifices and you can continue to be in relationship with me. But all of that was just a placeholder, a, a an illustration of what was yet to come. And Jesus' sacrifice is so all-encompassing that it was good for us now and them even before Jesus came. For me, that really helps to understand how sacrifice works. But if you still don't get it, there's plenty more chapters of Hebrews yet to come and we're going to keep doing this for a while yet. So there's more to come. So three things that the new can give us. First of all, a clean conscience. So in verse 14, it says, How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death? So all of the sacrifices were able to cleanse the outside to make it, sh it look like there had been a cleaning. Just like when we shower, we wash dirt off ourselves, but actually inside we still feel, I'm, I feel guilty, I feel not right, I feel uh, somehow not in tune with God. What Jesus does cleans us on the inside. It enables us to step into a new relationship with God where we're, our consciences are pure. We're justified, which means just as if I had never sinned. We enter into this new place of grace. And I'm just going to read that passage that Tim uh, read for us earlier because it's perfect for this in Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. We're able to stand in God's presence. That's unbelievable. We're able to stand in God's presence when all that came before was just, even if you got a glimpse of God, you were done for because he was so holy. We're able to stand in God's presence because our conscience is clean. I'm not perfect, I guess. Most or all of you are not perfect either. And yet, we can stand in God's presence with a clean conscience because of what Jesus has done. Next, a new purpose. So it says in verse 15, uh, Sorry, back in verse 14, my mistake. Uh, so he's offering himself unblemished to God, cleansing our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. He saves us 
and enables us to stand in his presence so that we can serve the living God. That's our purpose. Once we're saved, once we're in relationship with God, our very purpose is to serve him. And what an honor. What, a, what an absolute honor that we can be called upon to serve God. We can spend the rest of our lives just understanding more and more about who Jesus is and who we are and our purpose for serving him. So Romans 6 says that we were dead to sin, but now we're alive to God in Jesus. We were dead and now we're alive. We have this new purpose to serve the living God. And then the last thing, a new inheritance. So we've got a clean conscience, a new purpose, and a new inheritance. We know where we're going now. In verse 15, it says, For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. No more sacrifices required. In the old system, every year, a new day of atonement came around, the people had to be washed clean again. Now, our eternal inheritance is here. We are eternally redeemed. We are always with God. John 3.16, I'm sure you, uh, many of you know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It's a wonderful promise. And you, it's hard to un- comprehend and understand eternal life. But for this, while we're talking about sacrifice, what we have is eternal inheritance. We don't have to be sacrificed for again. What Jesus has done once is good for us for the rest of our lives, if we accept it, if we believe in him. So we can use that as a new identity. We are God's children. We are in God's family. And we know that we're secure there because there is no need for any further sacrifices or anything. So really, our challenge now is to learn to live in that freedom, to not be tempted to go back to how things were before, to not listen to voices that said, oh, you've messed up again. You need to somehow be go all through your redemption again and earn forgiveness from God and feel guilty and all of that? No, we don't. We are eternally forgiven. Once we're in this with God, we're really in this. And we have that identity that means we don't have to go back and live in the old way again. And I hope uh, as you go towards Easter now, as you think more and more about what Jesus did for us, that that helps you to make sense of that and to really understand this Easter more and more of what Jesus has done and how amazing it is. And that's my prayer for all of you, that uh, as we go over the next couple of weeks to Easter, that you would really comprehend how wonderful a thing Jesus has done for all of us in that. Amen.